Thank you for, again, for spending this time with us this morning on a beautiful Mother's Day Sunday. I hope you have a, a special lunch plan and a good afternoon together. We've been going through Second Peter under the title of Escaping Corruption. And I'd like to start this morning with uh, a little bit of an apology. A good friend this week, you know, the Bible says that the wounds of a friend are faithful. And a good friend alerted me to uh, my, my love of hearing myself talk. I talk too much. And I did something I don't normally do, and I don't really recommend, and that is go back and listen to my own sermon, myself, uh, to see for myself. And I, I found it. I saw it. Uh, I am confident in my own abilities, and that tends to lead me to fleshliness sometimes and uh, being the center of attention. And I want you to forgive me for that and continue to pray for me that the Lord would shine out of me despite myself. I'm glad he's a God that can use any instrument he wants to get glory for himself, even a donkey, right? He can use a donkey if he wants so I know he can use me, and I know he has, but I want him to use me more, and you pray that that would happen, and please forgive me for times that I've been overconfident in myself. Well, that said, let's do some review. One of the problems with preaching through a passage paragraph by paragraph is that you can easily lose the big picture. You lose the whole flow of the thing, and so I want to challenge you before the end of the month when we finish 2 Peter, to read through the whole book of 2 Peter, maybe even 1st and 2 Peter, doesn't take long. Uh, you can do it on an Uber ride. Uh, just take out the, the book of 2 Peter, it's three chapters, and get a, get a picture of Peter's heart as an old apostle about to die and alerting the church to say, remember, remember the prophecies, remember the teachings of Christ, so that you have wholesome thinking and holy living. That's his point in this whole book. But let's go all the way back to the beginning of the, of the book. Uh, he's writing this to those who have been called, and he says specifically by God's goodness and glory. So God calls people to life out of sin's death. He calls people into his kingdom of life, of light, out of the kingdom of darkness. And that's who he's writing to. And then he says those who have received a faith as precious as ours, a faith specifically to believe that the promises of God are true. If you've received that faith, then you are saved. You have Christ in your life, and you have eternal life guaranteed to you, and that's who is to be receiving these writings of Peter. He says, when you do that, you become a partaker of the divine nature. You escape corruption. Corruption that's in you and in every, every human being. And you escape and become holy like God is holy, escaping your own evil desires. And that's where corruption comes from. It doesn't come from the government. doesn't come from rich bankers. doesn't come from your mean neighbor. It comes from each human being because our flesh is constantly producing evil desires, which we need to escape from. We're all born into slavery. We're born slaves of our sin. And only Jesus can set us free from those evil desires and from corruption. But Peter says you have everything you need to live this godly life through your knowledge of Him. It's a relationship. 
We're not here playing religious games. We're not here just having a nice time meeting together. We are here to know Jesus, to get to know him better, to walk with him, to develop that love relationship between each one of us and the Savior and his body, of course. And then lastly, we have everything we need for a godly life through all of that. So that's where we've come from. Uh, Now, as a saved person, Peter says, make every effort to add seven things to your faith. Now, some of you have made some real effort to memorize these. And this week I was uh, reading, we're reading through Numbers at home, and Numbers chapter 15 commands the people of God to make tassels for their clothing. Did you know that? They all had tassels on their clothing. What are these tassels for? Uh, Here, I'll read it to you. It says, you will have these tassels to look at, so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. I thought, wow, that sounds like Peter. So let's make a tassel. Whoever can tell me the seven things that you add to your faith will get a tassel. I'll give you a tassel to remember those seven things if you can memorize them. And we had some given out this morning. Uh, By the way, Thomas didn't pick his up. Did he already leave? I'll give it to you, Fabio, yeah. Uh, So what are those seven things? Can anybody tell me what the first thing we're supposed to make every effort to add to our faith? What? Virtue or goodness. NIV is goodness. ESV is virtue. Next. Knowledge. Knowledge. After that. Self-control. But not too controlled. You also want to keep going perseverance. What's next? Godliness. Good. Then brotherly or mutual affection and love. So the whole point of this addition to our faith is what Paul says. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. That's where we get to is that love that we add to our faith. Chapter two is totally focused on false teachers And chapter 3, we've been going through, he's saying the end of all things helps us to have wholesome thinking and holy living. This week, the message is on 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, and I've chosen the title, Looking Forward to the Day of God and Speeding Its Coming. Looking forward to the day of God and speeding its coming. This is eschatology. So eschatology is a big fancy word that just means the study of the end, last things. Somebody has said eschatology is the engine block of the church. It helps us to do what we do as a church. And let me tell you this before we read the passage again. If your life makes sense to people without adding the eternal to it, then you're not living as a Christian. If people look at your life and they understand everything you do, the way you spend your time and money, without thinking, oh, heaven's coming, oh, that person is thinking about their inheritance, their reward in heaven, then you need to live. If if it makes sense without that, you're not living as a Christian should live. How do you picture the future? Before we read this, what do you think about life after death being like? How do you see it? What do you look forward to doing? If you picture blue sky with a white puffy cloud for you to sit on and play a harp forever, you've got to think again, because that's not what the Bible describes. 
Look at what Peter says. Let's read 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 13. And I hope you have your Bible open because we're going to be bouncing around at different scriptures uh, to focus on what these four verses say. 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now that but is referring back to what he said about a day being like a thousand years and scoffers saying it's never going to come. It's always just going to keep going. Jesus isn't coming back. Do whatever you like. And Peter says, wait a minute. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. How's that going to look? The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Okay, take one minute and tell the person next to you what you just heard. Summarize what you ever, whatever you heard in one minute to the person next to you. See, you were distracted. you're listening, add something the person left out. So several uh, days ago, I was turning my compost at home. I love to make compost. Uh, we, we save all of our banana peels and uh, anything organic, all of our leaves off that we rake up off the, out of the yard, and put it in the compost pile, and then we turn it, or I turn it, because I love it so much, and watch it become fertile soil. If anybody wants good organic soil, I've got too much, so I'll give you a bag if you want it. Um, but I was turning this, and I saw something shining in it. This was the last stage, so it had become this nice, rich, moist, brown loam dirt uh, with red worms wiggling in it. This makes me so happy. And I saw this shiny thing, and I thought, what's that? And I reached down, and it was my reading glasses. I actually brought them this morning, but I think I left them up on my desk. I've been using them. They were in perfect condition. All I had to do was rinse off a little bit of the dirt, and they, were, they had been preserved in this nice, warm soil. It was the only thing in there that wasn't dirt, with these glasses that now I actually can use to read with. Because I had been turning the compost the month before. They'd fallen out of my shirt pocket without me seeing, and there they had sat for a whole month cooking with the rest of that compost, and they were in perfect condition. This passage says that the earth is going through a process similar to that. Peter says it will burn up, the heavens will disappear, and only the holy, those who are in Christ, like Noah was in the ark, 
will enjoy the pleasure and joy of the new world God is making. The rest will be judged and found wanting for that holiness. Here's how Paul says it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who long for his appearing. See, if you know that something valuable is hidden in this world, like my glasses were hidden in that compost pile, and you are going to get that at the end of all things, you look forward to that. Because you've invested your time and your money and your effort into things that are eternal. And Paul says, you long for his appearing. Let's look through this passage just quickly, phrase by phrase. Verse 10 starts out with this phrase, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You know, thieves don't announce their arrival. They don't come to the front door and ring the doorbell. They try to get in over the wall, through a window, in a way that the owner doesn't hear so that they can come and get what's valuable and leave without being perceived. Peter heard Jesus say this. Turn your Bibles to Luke 12, Luke 12, verses 38 to 40. This is Jesus, and Peter was very likely standing in the circle while he said this. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let the house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when this is the purpose of this whole eschatology teaching. The purpose is not for us to know the order, exact detail of the end time. The purpose is not for us to know dates. Jesus even said, it is not for you to know times and dates. The purpose is that we would live ready. What would you do tonight if you knew the thieves were coming? You'd leave the lights on. You'd stand by the window. Maybe behind the curtain, peering out. Stay awake. That's what Jesus is saying. Be ready. Be standing at the door when Jesus comes. He is coming. And it will be at a time when we don't expect it. The next phrase says, The heavens will disappear with a roar. Where does Peter get this? Well, Psalm 102. I think I've got that written there. Psalm 102, verses 25 to 28 say this. And remember, Peter, Peter had these words in the, the Hebrew Scriptures. He studied them at the synagogue. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. I might say like compost. But like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. I'm so glad that there are servants of God who are mothers this morning and their children have that heritage of receiving the gospel from their mothers. Isaiah 34 is another place uh, Peter likely took uh, these words from that the heavens would disappear with a roar. Uh, here's what Isaiah 34.4 says. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved. 
The heavens will roll up like a scroll. All the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. Peter knew these promises and believed them and was reminding the church and is reminding us today that this is our destination. Revelation 6.14 is the words of John as he was seeing the vision of the end on the Isle of Patmos and he says, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. So these scrolls were made out of a sheepskin scraped very thin and they wanted to roll up. So if you let go of them, if they weren't being held open, they would just go and they'd roll right up into a roll. That's the image that the Bible gives us of our heavens. Now, I have no idea how that works with the whole universe. It's a huge thought. But I believe what the Bible says. And I believe there is an expiration date for the creation that God has made for us to know Him in because He is making a new heaven and a new earth. And Peter goes on and says the elements will be destroyed by fire. Elements will be destroyed by fire. He had already said in, in verse 7, if you go back to 2 Peter 3, 7, that the earth is reserved for fire. This earth is going to be cooked. God is preparing a recipe for holiness, which will go into the new heaven and the new earth, and it will be baked. It will be melted down to its very basic building blocks. And we're going to talk about that a little more in a second. But I want us to skip now down to uh, verse 12, the second part. It gives a little more detail. So if you look at verse 12b, it says, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. So incredible uh, heat and destruction is predicted. Uh, it seems to indicate the destruction of everything or perhaps the distillation down to basic building blocks in order to reveal what is done on the earth. Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus said again with Peter listening, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. See, we live in the world thinking it's eternal. We build our lives not thinking even about our own death, much less about the death of the earth, the burning up of everything around us for the renewal of all things, according to what the, what the word says. Let's go back to verse 10, the second part of verse 10. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So here's a, a surprise. It doesn't say the earth and everything in it. Everything done in it. The lives of those who live godly and holy lives will be preserved. Those acts of generosity, those acts of love, the relationships built, the teaching of God's word will survive the fire. It'll be laid bare. It'll be seen. Things that are said in the inner rooms will be shouted from the rooftops. All that we've done, secret sins will be seen, will be destroyed and judged by that judgment fire. And so uh, Peter is uh, giving incentive for holy thinking through these words. It's the righteous, loving, generous acts of the saints that will pass into the, wor the new world. Now, he, he, uh, he uses a term, laid bare, that some understand to mean 
uh, scorched, that the earth would be burned over, scorched, and then rebuilt so that this world, this earth, is the new earth. Uh, my sense is that Peter didn't really believe that. He thought this earth would be totally melted and then remade. But certainly something from this creation will last. Let's look at this passage in Romans 8. I don't know if you have your Bible there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Paul says that he gives a reason to believe that uh, creation groans in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the revelation of the son of the children of God. So childbirth would indicate that out of this reality, a new one is going to be born with something of a similarity, a family resemblance, maybe with some elements of this world that he uses to rebuild the other one. Uh, there's something in creation that is longing for this to happen. And Paul is saying we should long as well, along with creation, which is exactly what Peter's talking about, that we should look forward to this and live as though it is imminent. It's going to happen soon. What is certain is that the world as we know it will be destroyed by fire. That's what Peter is predicting. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So that last phrase is an indication that maybe it's not this earth, but that the water is going to be evaporated, and it will be a totally new place, a completely new world that we uh, live in. Revelation 21.4 says the old order of things will pass away. Behold, I've made everything new, Jesus says at the end of the New Testament. In keeping with his promise, verse 13, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So Peter's saying, look beyond the fire. I'm not just going to end with fire. There's something beyond it. And we who know Jesus, we who are in the ark of his body, which is the church, look beyond that judgment to glorious hope, a living hope, he's called it before in this same book, uh, that we believe a new heaven and a new earth are coming where righteousness dwells. Where did Peter get this idea? He didn't make it up. He got it from Isaiah. Isaiah 65, verse 14. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So just like Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected with a new body, the earth and everything in it is going to disappear, be burned up, be laid bare, and then be be brought into a new order of things, reordered, a new body. You will have a new body, new ability to enjoy, a new world. Jesus, uh, uh, I had a couple promises here that I didn't put up on the screen, but Matthew 5, Peter heard this as well. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, the meek haven't inherited the earth yet. They're still being trampled by the proud, by the rich, by the powerful. But they will inherit the earth. Revelation 4 even indicates that Abraham and his offspring received a promise that he would be heir of the world. Wow. Put that on your, your, uh, the top of your bank statement, right? When you worry about all the debt and all the bills you have to pay, 
We're going to be heirs of the world as faith children of Abraham. That promise of a country that God would show Abraham is not Canaan after all. It's the new earth that will be owned by the meek who follow Jesus and make it through the judgment by His grace. Righteousness will dwell there. The loving, generous service to one another will survive the fire and will dwell in the new earth. Now, I think this is primarily relationships. Primarily, those eternal dwellings from Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Spend worldly wealth to to make friendships for yourself so when the worldly wealth runs out, you will have eternal dwellings. That's what goes, that's the righteousness that dwells in the new earth. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, it's a new earth. New mountains, new rivers, fruit trees, new animals. Uh, The girls at my house think there's going to be flying horses. I think they've already reserved one with Jesus. New animals that we've never seen because God is creating a new heaven and new earth. This is not blue sky with harps and puffy clouds. This is not even dying and going to heaven. The golden streets are in the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven and establishes its reign on the new earth. It's not a return to Eden. It's a totally new destination by grace that we could not survive without Christ's salvation and sanctification. Like Jesus' resurrected body, it is made out of the old creation and will likely feel strangely familiar including eternal works done on earth. But the former things will not even come to mind. So Peter takes all of this vision of the future based on predictions of the past, and he says, if this is true, how should we live? What kind of people believe this? What does it do to your life if you truly buy this? And he tells us, he answers the question. He's kept coming back to the same theme through this book, that the precious, true promises of God, if believed, change the way you think, make you think wholesomely, and they change the way you live day by day. He says everything will be destroyed by fire. Go back to... Isaiah, see the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment upon all men. And many will those be who are slain by the Lord. Peter believes this. He's alerting the people of God. Judgment is coming. Live like it's true. Paul echoes these things in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10. Give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. So he's talking about the end times as well. He says this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. See, he's coming this time with fire and powerful angels for judgment of everything in the world. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes. That's the day of the Lord that Peter's talking about. 
Now, my friend, I want to just stop and say, I hope that's not you. I hope you won't be shut out. Like the people all around Noah when he was building that ark and they said, what a stupid man to spend years of his life building a boat in the middle of the desert when it has never rained. And Noah taught his family to look forward to the rain which was coming. God had told him, judgment is coming, build a boat. And he's told us, judgment is coming, build a church. And if you're in... You're safe. You look forward to it because you're going to float on the fire. You will be fireproof if you've run into the open door of Jesus and become part of his body. Then you survive the fire. But if you're outside, the door will close and there will be no more getting in. Like people swimming after the ark, trying to be saved when it's too late. Today, the door is open. And I pray that everyone that's listening to me here and even online will run to that open door because you believe it. So now Peter answers his question, and this is the core. This is the sweet spot of this passage. He says, answers the question by saying, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And speed its coming. Three things he tells people. Number one, live holy. Holy, godly lives, God-like lives through the divine nature that God has given you. Now, there's two, two adjectives here, holy and godly. It's not the same. I looked up these words this week and wrestled with some of the differences, but basically, holy means set apart. It means come out from among them and be holy, be separate, be holy like I am holy. Friends, that means that we who are in Christ are not like those who are on Instagram that we watch. We don't do the things that everyone appreciates. We don't fall into the traps of sin. We run from youthful lusts. We resist the devil and we live differently. We're separate. We're set apart. We're, we're clean. We seek that, that holiness that only God can give us. Godliness could be translated piety. It's good works. It's not just crawling into a, a cave where you can stay clean from the world and from sin until Jesus comes. It's coming apart from the world, but then it's running back into the burning house of the world to rescue those that are in the clutches of sin. Godliness is saying, like God, I will not stay on my throne and in my glory. I will go down to the cross and obey so that for love I can rescue others. Now look how these two words correspond with the two actions that Peter tells us. While we do two things, look forward to the day of God, that's the holiness. That's when you say, no, I'm not going to that party because I know what they do there. I kind of like it. I want to go. It would be fun. I'd make some friends. But I'm staying home tonight because I'm looking forward to a better party. I'm looking forward to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I will look forward to being with God in my holy life. And that motivates me to be righteous, to be good, to not fall into sin. But godliness speeds his coming. Now here's a mystery. Godliness looks forward to that day with action, with energy. Matthew 24, 12 to 14 
says, because of the increase of wickedness, that's corruption, growing and filling all things, the love of most will grow cold. They forgot to make every effort to add to their faith. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You might, be, you might have noticed that I've been growing my beard. It's not a, very, it's not, not a good looking beard like Jose Zibart has. It, it needs some adubo on the sides here. It takes a long time to fill in. But the reason, there's a reason. Because in September, some friends and I are preparing a mission conference in Karachi. And the purpose of the mission conference is to motivate churches in that place to reach over 800 ethnic groups in that country that don't yet know the Lord. And our theme, our title is, And Then the End Will Come. Because everybody's talking about the end. Maybe Jesus is coming. Maybe everything that's happening is pointing to the end. But Jesus says, first, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, all people groups, and then the end will come. And he's saying, come on, guys. Live godly lives by obeying what I told you to do so that the end will come. We can speed his coming in some mysterious way. By doing what he told us to do and making disciples of all nations. This morning after the first service, we prayed for Caillou and Daniel, who are going to OM tomorrow to do a two-week training and possibly will join the team of the Dulos ship that goes to unreached countries. Yes, Caillou and Luciana, or Daniel, are, are headed for OM. Praise God. Now they're going to need some people to give them money. They're going to need people to pray for them. We're going to send them out, Lord willing to do this speeding work of taking the gospel to all nations so that then the end will come. Our holiness is, is motivated by looking forward to the, to the end. You know, why did Noah look forward to the rain? You think Noah looked forward to the storm? Why? Because he was safe. Because he wanted to see that ark float. Because he wanted his scoffing neighbors to have wide eyes and see that the promise was actually true. We, as well, in the church can look forward to his coming, but also run into the burning house of the world and rescue those who still have not accepted Christ. How do we apply these things? I think there's three ways, and they're pretty obvious. How should we live? Number one, holy God-like living. When you're not motivated to come apart from the world, when you're not motivated to deny your youthful lusts, when you're not motivated to resist Satan, remember the judgment. Remember the fire that is predicted that is coming and let that set you on the way. Again, Thomas Watson, the great Puritan preacher, said, holiness is the king's highway to heaven. Get on the highway. Get on the holiness highway and head for the new heaven and the new earth. As a result of believing that the elements will be destroyed and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, we live different. The second thing is joyful, expectant living. Holy people who live because of the future don't live with their mouths down, they live with their mouths curved up because they know the, 
the new heaven and the new earth will be worth every cent I pay to build my treasure in heaven, will be worth every embarrassment that I come under for preaching his name somewhere where people don't want to listen. All of it will be worthwhile, and we can joyfully expect what Titus 2 calls that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is coming, and he's coming with a sword and a smile because he will put all of his enemies as a footstool for his feet. Live joyfully, Christian, because your reward is great in heaven. And then finally, as a, as a, as a fruit of this, when people ask you why you're joyful in the midst of scoffing, in the midst of problems and persecutions and difficulties, you say, I have a reason for that hope. It's because of the good news of Jesus. And so you preach to all nations in order to speed its coming. A couple years ago, I was driving down the road and my phone rang and I pulled over and answered it and it was a, my Uncle Joel. Uncle Joel was about 80 years old. He was a missionary linguist on the Wycliffe base that I grew up on. My dad was a pilot and he would take Uncle Joel out to the, to the jungle areas. And he and Aunt Nancy had worked to translate the New Testament into the Barasano language in the middle of the Amazon jungle. A little group of natives that nobody knows, and they learned their language, wrote their grammar and alphabet, translated the New Testament into their language over a period of 25 to 30 years. There was a little church formed. He and Aunt Nancy came back, and we all thought they were retired. I said, hello, Uncle Joel, what's up? He said, you know, I tried to think of somebody I could call to celebrate, and you came to mind. I just want you to know the translation team in the Barasano village and I have just finished the first draft of the Old Testament in the Barasano language. Here's an 80-year-old in Minnesota working to translate the Old Testament into an Amazon jungle language. And he had just finished the last sentence and he wanted to celebrate. A week later, Uncle Joel died in, a, in his easy chair taking a nap and he went to heaven with a smile on his face because he had given his whole life for one nation to come to the party around the throne and he was looking forward to it and speeding its coming. That's what I want to do. That's what I want our church to do. That's what I want our relationships to be about. How can we live a holy life and speed the coming of the Savior because that's all we're looking forward to. Now, once again, you cannot do this by yourself. Don't let this make you pull on your boots and try to go up. No one goes to heaven except by the grace of God shed on the cross through Jesus' blood. When you trust Him with everything you have, we sang it just a few minutes ago, and I wrote these words down so I could say them here. If you sang this with your heart, this is it. I give you my life. I give you my trust, Jesus. You are my God. You are enough, Jesus. My heart is yours. Take it all. My life in your hands. Every human being needs to pray that prayer with all their heart. Run to the open door of the ark of Christ's body. The door has been flung wide open. It will not be open forever. Take advantage today 
of salvation. God is holy. I'm a sinner. Jesus became sin for me so that I might become righteousness for Him and live in the new earth and the new heaven where righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Just in the quiet of this moment right now, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you that you, are, you don't have assurance that you will be on that new earth, most of what you live for, all of it, will be burned up in that fire of judgment. Right now, you can open that door in your heart and run into the door of Christ. You can be saved. If you will trust Him, if you will cast yourself on the mercy of God, He has paid the debt. He has covered you with His blood. If you will come under His authority, His Lordship, proclaim Him as Lord. Say, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to live in this holy place where righteousness dwells. You can make me holy. Take my life and do that. You can pray that in whatever words you choose, but if you'll just say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I confess my need for you. Come into my heart, my life, my mind, my body. Forgive me, take me as I am, and make me like you. I set you on the throne of my life today. He'll do it. He'll change you. He'll make you like himself. He'll take you into the ark of his body, and you will be fire. Lord, have mercy on us. We have been tempted by the world's upward mobility and you have called us to come down and be obedient, taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following you. Remind us of what is going to happen so that we think right thoughts and do righteous actions, coming apart from the world and being holy, and speeding your coming by making disciples of all nations. Thank you for this church that has done that so faithfully all these years. And I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice to have grace to believe today that they too might be a member of your body through your grace. And we'll give you all the glory. We ask these things in the all-powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.